Hello and welcome to this week's edition of The Time and Place, the gospel conversation show where we discuss faith on the fringes and do our best to apply God's word to God's world. I'm Solomon, this is Julian, and today we're going to talk about sola gratia. But first, Julian, what the heck is going on in the world today? The uh, I saw a trailer for what will truly be a generation-defining movie today. So I, I heard about this from Tim Pool. Uh, shout out, Tim Pool. There's a movie coming out called Karen. It, it's it's a horror movie. So <laughs> that revolves around a black family moving into a affluent white neighborhood, and the villain, the antagonist, is a uh, neighborhood association, a homeowners association. Karen, who makes it her mission to drive them out with the help of her racist cop brother. Oh, man. <laughs> it's, it's real. It's a real thing. Oh, Produced oh. by BET Films. So, oh, stamp man. of quality. The same people that brought us uh, Deaf Comedy Jam and uh, <laughs> what else did they bring us? I don't know. I don't know either, but something. I'm sure. You guys going wrong. 106 in Park. Yeah, I forgot. I forgot who I'm talking to for a second. You remember BET, right? Yeah, let me tell you all this. <laughs> uh, man, how how much do you have to hate your daughter this day and age to name her Karen? <laughs> right? That's, that name is a ruin, right? Yeah, I mean, forever. The whole generation of like, oh, man, your name's Karen. Oh, wasn't that like a bad – weren't bad people named Karen or something? Or like – yeah, if we're gonna have to like go the way of like other foreign countries where they're given like a list of names that they can pick from, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like in Germany, you can't just name right. your kid Adolf, Adolf or something, yeah, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, you can't name a kid Karen. We're gonna have to put on the list of like yeah, band. Can't, can't name your kid. Man, that sucks. Yeah, what if you're already named Karen? Like, what do you do? Do you just go by your middle name or <laughs> you so, get a new identity? I haven't seen I haven't seen the trailer, but just from what you're telling me. That's a narrative, right? And that's a a narrative that very people very much think is real. Yes, and that people think is extremely common. But right. how common is that narrative of a white woman named Karen who just hates black people and has a white cop brother who is also racist, and they just hate the black people and they just want to drive them out? Wait, how many times is, has that happened? Like really in America, it's it's like the whole white cops hunting down black people narrative of like LeBron James, like they're hunting us down in the streets. Right, right. Like are they? You know, and so, but no one ever like looks at any sort of data on that. It's just that's true because LeBron James said it, and that's just that's his truth. And it's like okay, but yeah, and that's I, and I think this gets pushed a lot as far as like narratives. Uh, we've been watching Modern Family mm. and hilarious show, but a total like cultural influence, right? As far as like, this is what can a family can be and is totally fine because we're writers and we wrote a fictional story where everything turned out fine and people cooperate, were, were compatible and things, these families worked exactly the way they should. And this is happening, you know. And it's just like, man, they just, but, but that's it. Real life, people aren't written that way. You know what I mean? Right. As much as Beaver Cleaver didn't get it right as far <laughs> as reality of people, I don't think a lot of these shows and movies today get it right as far as reality of what's going on. 
right? There are these narratives that are pushed and these, these ideologies and archetypes and, and personalities that are created, literally created. Right. Out of fiction. And then here's what's normal in the world, but it's not like this is a modern family, but it's not. Yes, and, right. and a lot of, and a lot of times those gay dudes who adopted a girl get divorced. You know what I mean? I mean, that right. happens, but that's not going to happen in this show right? because it has to work out because these are good families and these are what's good, you know, and this is what's totally fine. And the family can be anything you want it to be. And so we're going to make up of, we're going to write up a fictional story where everything works out. And then you're going to think that's reality. And you're going to go out and believe that in real life. Hmm. Well, there, I mean, that was always kind of an element to TV, right? Like, either the idealized version of what was happening or like an aspirational version of what was happening. Like, right. uh, like star Trek was like the ideal future. Everybody gets along. We've, we've eliminated poverty. We've eliminated any kind of injustice. We're a perfect society. Mm -hmm. That's like the goal for whatever it is, but it was like neutral stuff, stuff everybody could agree on. Like, yeah, it would be great if there was no pollution and no crime, but now it's one specific ideology. Like this would be great. And everything is geared towards that. But it's fiction. Yeah. And and people think that that's like how things can and should and would be if only for Trump. If only not for, <laughs> you know, if there was only not these that evil right wingers and these white people and these whatever, whatever, whatever. Right. Um, but then, you know, again, give it long enough. And now something like Modern Family, where there's such thing as gay people. They're, they're, they're changing, they're redefining even what gay means, right? We talked about mm -hmm. this, uh, the transgender revolution is, is redefining, like, if you're a guy, right, right, a man, a biological man, and, and you're dating a biological woman, and she all of a sudden identifies as a man, now you're gay. Now you're gay, right. Not, not because of gender and sex and, and organs, but because of same identity. Yes, Right, you identify as a man, and so does he now. Well, that's that doesn't matter. Five seconds ago, she identified as a woman, and and is still has the genitalia. You know, she identifies as a man. You identify as a man. Now you're gay. And you, someone, someone might be thinking about like like that's that doesn't happen. That's literally what happened with <laughs> Ellen slash Elliot Page, right? Like yeah. she was a lesbian, married a woman, and right. then was trans. So now it's a man. So is that woman straight now because yes. she's married to a man? If you ask any of these woke professors, yes, the critical race to, uh, uh, professionals and thinkers, yes, that they're straight now because, or they're non-binary or they're whatever they are today and something different tomorrow or whatever. <laughs> so crazy, man. But yeah, these narratives, these narratives get pushed in Hollywood and, 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 and that shapes the culture because people think that's real. People yeah. think these movies and television and stuff are real and then expect real life to work out that way. And people are actual different in real life. Um, turns out hobbits and elves and dragons and things don't exist. And we deal with human beings out there. And they're not how they're written on television. So, yeah, it's just these, these narratives of how of, it's, it's just these impossible worlds, you know, that just get pushed. And sometimes something that is normal and mainstream and whatever as modern family can become as fantastical as Lord of the Rings, you know, in its narrative. And like, these aren't how, this isn't really how 
things work, you know? But. It's funny that the with the horror specifically of this movie, like that's the terrifying thing in 2020. When you think about old horror movies like The Thing or yeah. uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, like there was a, a an unstoppable killing force, and it was like you know, oh my god, this is horrible. But now it's like uh, some possibly racist woman who lives next door to me. This is the worst thing that I could ever imagine. Like really, that's the worst thing you could ever imagine. Well, it kind of is because I was listening to. Um, Barry Weiss was on Bridget Fetissey, is the older, a little older episode. And I like Barry Weiss, man. Like, you know, talk about a lesbian. Uh, <laughs> irrational uh, little Jewish lesbian. Uh, God bless her. Um, I, I, she's, you know, the, her, her, her rationality and her reason and a lot of her thinking against the wokeness, I, I really like and really appreciate. And how she shines a light on anti Semitism that's going on today by the woke revolutionaries. Uh, it's really good. And but they were talking and stuff, and they made a really good point. She was saying, you know, we're talking about whiteness and how important race is, and how we're teaching that to people, to kids today, of that race is really, really, really important, and power dynamics and all these things. And she was saying, should we really be telling ten to twelve year old boys that their whiteness gives them a lot of power, mm. like? That's what we're, that sounds like some KKK stuff, you know what I mean? And right, it's it's like hang on, that's literally what you're saying is saying here, hey, angry young man, your whiteness gives you a lot of power, and you shouldn't use it this way. You should you should be sorry for that. And some jackass kid is gonna be like, oh, it does, great, that you're that's right, and I believe that now, and that becomes part of my psyche. That's what I need. That my whiteness, that I have white supremacy. You're telling me that I have white supremacy. Confirming it. Right. And if I've got some other screwed up issues in my life that make me super angry and confused and, and uh, you know, disgruntled in some way, well, you don't think that's going to turn out really, really bad as far as crimes this kid can commit and what ideal ideas he has of his own self and his white supremacy. And I mean, you're like literally inputting that in his head and hoping that he just apologized the rest <laughs> of his life for it. But well, guess what? Sometimes maybe you won't. And that could be really, really bad. Well, it's a lack of lo – like logically everything that you just said is true. But they think like, well, we know better. We can social engineer that out of him. And we can we can instill guilt instead of uh, megalomania and turn that's it to never, something good. That's never been the case though. Yeah. I mean, no, that, I know that. I mean, it's just – but it's so, it's so weird. It's just like we have this amnesia of history. Yeah, like we're, we're so historically ignorant of like look at the past. Look what this has done. And these ideas and but it is this like delusion of we can make new futures right we can make things different we've evolved yes we can be different this it'll be different this time <laughs> you know it's like it's not dealing in reality but as karen i gotta check it out how do you, you you see get out no i haven't seen i still haven't seen get out i know the premise i just haven't watched it i like to get out it's, it looks like a movie i would like the whole idea sounds intriguing this sounds yeah. like the crappy version of that <laughs> yeah get out was actually smart it was actually good I, I thought i thought it was really really interesting because it taps into this weird racism of like i want to be a black person right and and you know they're so athletic and so cool and so i was like hang, hang on i think you're making stereotypes aren't you like it's you know, well they're good right. stereotypes though right it, it was it's not this just like it's it's a recognition of like being less than for being white <laughs> right in a lot of ways and then it's like well, i'm gonna put my brain in a black person you know and it's like well that's racist it's like what 
<laughs> you know? So I think it was really smart and it was, I think it was really good. Um, just as a movie, just like as just well-written and just like the idea behind it and stuff, I thought was really cool and different. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't just like the white people are attacking the black people and they're just victims and they're just whatever. It's like, no, no, no hang on. There's more to it than this. They're like, right. yeah. And I think a lot of that sort of, I think a lot of the racism that was shown in get out come is the racism that the, that, that, that white liberals leftists have. Right. Right. Yes. Right. Which is like, <laughs> man, it'd be better if we were black. It's like, well, what? You know, it's like, but what are you, what are you saying? It's like, oh, because they're this, this. It's like, that sounds kind of racist, and it is. And it's like shedding, yeah. it's like shedding a light on that kind of liberal white leftist racism, right? Right. So I, I thought that was really interesting. Which I'm kind of shocked that got terrible. made, but I guess if a if a black guy's making it, then it gets made. <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was really funny. Um. um but yeah, I'll have to check that. Check out that trailer. Yeah, if you get a chance, watch Karen. it because it's hysterical. It's so good. Are there any, are there any black girls named Karen? I uh, I've never met one. <laughs> that didn't suck. Uh. <laughs> what a what a conflict of identity. Like I'm like some twenty year old black girl named Karen. Like I don't know what I'm I am. To figure out what who what I am. Do. That's a movie. That's I'm I'm working on that script tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, that char- that, that character never gets written because there's like that's the thing you'll never see in, in in Hollywood in a movie a black girl named Karen, right? Because they're not supposed to exist. So right, right. We're never gonna write them in a movie or a book or anything like that. <laughs> Donald Glover, uh, before he went super woke, he had that joke about how like being a black nerd was illegal until 2005. <laughs> <laughs> it just didn't exist. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think Miles Morales had a lot to do with that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was cool. I mean, that was good. Like, Miles Morales is awesome. Like, that Spider-Man, Ultimate Spider-Man. You know, I think Dude, man, I cool. think Spider-Verse did a better job with him than the comics did. Nah, the comics are good. Nah, the, comics, I, the comics are pretty good. Brent Bendis, not, dude? Brian I Bendis? know, but I, I, I feel like the, the, the relationship with him and his uncle and him and his dad was just so good in the movie. It, they really extrapolated that conflict yeah. of, like, well, it's very concentrated in the movie. Yeah, I mean, that's the true. Comic, the comics kind of spread it out, you know, if you read it. But um, no, that's good, dude. That's a good example of like, we need more black superheroes or something or more diversity and stuff. It's like, so, okay, so we're going to do this thing and like make Spider-Man black. It's like, okay, there's like the eye roll. But then it's like, wait, this is actually good. Right. And it's like, and, and that's the thing is like, I don't think people will care a lot of times if it's actually good. Like they made, right, yes. they made Thor a woman. But it's just like, okay. You know, and you read it, and it's just like mediocre Thor story and stuff. And it's just like, I know it's, uh, it's like you, just because you did some like identity politics thing in the story in your movie or in your comic or any or whatever doesn't mean it's good. It's the writing still has to be good. Like you can't well, just say. And then it's like, oh, well, you just don't like it because you're sexist or because you're racist. <laughs> it's like no, the story just kind of sucks. Like, and and that's a and, and Miles Brown's a good example of like this like. Uh, race switching, whatever, it, but it's good. Like as right. long as the story's good, like well, that's that's all that matters. Between, like, writing to tell a story and writing for like social currency, right? That's that's because I, I know you didn't watch the Flash. No. I don't know if you ever saw the, the show, but they made the West family black, right? So like uh, Iris and and Wally and everybody are black, and uh, they're like the dad. Joe West is a bigger part of the the 
show. He's like a main character. But he's I, I wish I remember this actor's name, but he's the the he's from Law and Order. He's one of the cops that's been on Law and Order forever. And it was one of those times where it's like, man, that's the a dad good- from uh from uh Dirty Dancing. Oh, he's dead. No, that- <laughs> No, not that guy. A black guy. Oh, a black guy. <laughs> but it was one of those situations Ice where, like, tea? man, that's a, no, not Ice T. It's it, Ice he's Cube? an actor. Which actor. No, he's need no ice. There's no ice in this one. No, Ice T was in Law and Order, right? Ice T was in Law and Order. Yeah, Ice Cube yeah. was in the Family movies. <laughs> it's also super weird. Oh, man. That, is that your go? Is that your Ice Cube go to? Not Friday. I mean, come on, man. No, <laughs> your go to. If you want to talk to a generation now, you got to go to the Family, family movies. Vacation or. Are we, Are we there yet? Yeah. If you're talking to somebody over 30, you can go Friday. But anybody <laughs> younger than that, you got to go. Are we there yet? <laughs> oh, that's sad. <laughs> that that's his legacy now. No one knows, like, unless they saw the movie straight out of Compton. Nobody knows about his early career. I haven't seen that. I want to see that. It looks that sounds good. <clears throat> yeah. Well, it's like they're talking about like making. You know, it was kind of rumored around there that they were gonna have. I just saw will play James Bond, which right, yeah, I, I think would be freaking awesome. Right, I, yeah, that would be so. That is like perfect, and mm-hmm. you know, and it's and it's not because oh, finally we have a black James Bond. It's like no, because we have a great actor playing right. James Bond, and he's cool, and he's he's like he he is he embodies that James Bond like spirit. Right. You know, like everything you think of when you think of James Bond. You, oh yeah, fit. just cool and like bust people up and you know like that that is really that's james bond so man that that should happen or it might be get too old now but yeah it's a little late but yeah but that would be freaking cool that's what i i because when i was in college i remember the first time i ever had this idea of like identity or whatever kind of thrown at me it was in a, a english literature class and my teacher was super probably the first woke person i ever met in my life and she had this obsession with like, this was her her opening like speech that she gave. The the crescendo was, isn't it depressing to go through your entire high school career and never read a book by somebody who looks like you? And I never considered that thought before. Like it never crossed my mind that like Mark Twain's white, so I, I'm not supposed to relate to him. That just you know, I just liked Huckleberry Finn. I just thought it was a good book. So, but then she her her solution was to read nothing but books written by black female authors because she was a black female. And so me, I was like, well, I don't look like them either. I'm a man without a country in this class. Nobody, <laughs> this. You're the <laughs> Latino, Chicano literature. <laughs> I got to go read some. Who, who wrote those books? There's no books for that. I got to watch Stand By Me, Edward James Almost, or not Stand By Me, uh, Stand and Deliver. <laughs> Edward James <laughs> Almost is my guy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's what you should like. That's what I should be relating to. <laughs> that's what you and your brown skin should like because that looks like you and you're represented. So like that and want but that. That's not true. You know what Latinos love? Friends. That's what Latinos love. <laughs> Latinos love the crap out of friends. <laughs> All my Mexican aunts love friends. Yes, <laughs> dude, because it was so relatable. I don't know why. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's one of those weird things. Like that's that's why you, you see Atomic Blonde. No, um, I didn't see that one. I didn't see it either. But um, <laughs> it looks stupid. <laughs> I heard it was 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 done. It got bad reviews just across the board. Yeah, it's not good. But because it was that like they're trying to like just switch James Bond out with a girl. Well, right. like, that, that doesn't work. Like because that he's he is that you know, um, sex for dinner, death for breakfast kind of right. 
man's man, manly, worldly standard of man and macho and just kind of derail from true masculinity, but still right. that kind of idea. Um, and that just doesn't work for women like that. You, you know, it just doesn't, doesn't fit. You can't switch out gender. You can switch out race because that doesn't matter. But like gender does matter. And so especially on those like archetypes like that. So I think that's why it's like just kind of sucked. But <laughs> well, there was that one uh, Alita battle angel that came out. I did see that one. It wasn't like great, but it was. It, I don't understand why it wasn't. You know, more praised by because it's well, that, was a, that was a manga, right? That was like yeah, it was a manga. Yeah, first. yeah, that's that weird like robot kind of, you know. Yeah, thing, right. But I mean, it's a female lead, and she's like the girl. I forget her name. Something Salazar. It's like a minority female lead oh. in an action movie. That's what everybody says they want, but nobody saw it. Yeah, well, that's like Kill Bill. Yeah, know? that's true. Yeah, she's white, so it doesn't. So it doesn't count, dude. It was a black so, lady, so it's. You hear that? The Tarantino was talking to Rogan. Uh, mm -hmm. talking about maybe do a Kill Bill three. Yeah, dude. I had heard, yeah, of and you know what the story is going to be? It's the it's the. Uh, Vivica Fox's yes, uh, that's the rumor daughter. I heard for years that that I mean, was that, the, that was the thing. Like, oh, if you feel, yeah. feel so sore about it when you grow up, you can come find me. He's like, that's gonna be it. That's, you know? that's the movie. Her tracking and, and, and that would sell like a, a black oh, people yeah. lead on a revenge to kill the white, the blonde white girl. Shoot, yeah, that would sell today. And it's oh, I love the movie. It'd be freaking awesome because I'd be awesome. Kill your mom. She took everything from me. It's like it doesn't yeah. matter. You took everything from me. Yeah, uh, exactly. It doesn't matter. I don't care about your revenge. I don't care about your daughter. I don't care about your mission. I don't care about Bill. You kill my mom. Yeah. Oh like, man! So I'm after you. Like that would be so good. That's so Tarantino, dude. I mean, that would be freaking awesome. Oh well, we're just dreaming. <laughs> I don't think it's gonna happen. I don't think it's, nah, gonna it's too. It. It's too. It's too perfect. Dude. Too perfect. Yeah. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> too much that won't go right. But I, I liked when he said he's gonna still keep writing novels. Yeah, that was interesting. That was cool. I was like, whoa, oh, and I got the uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood novel. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. That's what I was at Barnes and Noble when I saw you. Pick it up. Yeah, I was I was listening to the podcast while I was out running errands, and I was like, "Oh man, I was passing Barnes and Noble right now." Let me pop in, and I saw you. Um, yeah. So, but what's interesting is I kind of kind of thrumming through like the first chapter, like the first few chapters, and I saw a paragraph, like first fifty pages, and it was like, "Oh yeah, when I torched those hippies in my house, whatever," and I was like. Is that not like the big climax of this novel? Like, because that right. was the movie. I don't think it's just a novelization of the movie. I think it's like a totally different thing or something. Like an expanded story. I don't know. Yeah, it's totally crazy. But anyway, whatever. Karen, that sounds nuts. <laughs> don't name your daughter Karen, people, please. Don't. You're doing her a disservice forever. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but one thing that Karen's lack is grace, and that's what we're talking about today. Name your daughter Grace. That's a good name. Oh, that's a good name. That's still okay, right? Yeah, Grace is okay. Grace is a good name. That's true. Yeah, so today, sola gratia. Mm. Grace grace alone. I should start rolling my R's and I say gratia, right? Just <laughs> go real Latin with it. Like Paul Washer. You hear Paul Washer? He's talking, he says, <laughs> he really say it like that? He says, sola scriptura. Oh my okay. god, bro! Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not gonna tell Paul Washer anything, but <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, he's like sola scriptura. I was like, come on, bro, no, you need to roll that R. So well, he's sophisticated is... now. Now he actually like he, you remember the old Paul Washer with the oversized shirts and like the the khakis that didn't quite fit right. Yeah, like, like, <laughs> yeah. Now he's got like a beard and he's all cool now. Bunched, yeah, he's dignified now. Yeah, 
Yeah, Sola Gratia, Grace Alone. Mm. So this is the fourth Sola we're doing on our Summer Sola series. And so Sola Gratia is Grace Alone. So what what do you think of when, when someone says just grace? Like we're saved by grace alone. What does that mm, mean? Like undeserved, complete undeserved is the, the word I would use. Just whatever it is, you didn't deserve it, but you got it. So be thankful. <laughs> Right. Um, someone told me, or I remember here one time, Grace, you know, little acronyms and stuff. Right. Uh, God's righteousness at Christ's expense. Mm. Grace. Right. Like, you know, I think we kind of get it. But um, yeah, that's how someone said it to me, told me one time. But I think it's good. Um, I think that's a good way to think about it uh, as far as grace. I'm going to think about amazing grace, you know, mm. and uh, once I was blind, now I see and just un, unmerited favor, unmerited love and mm. acceptance and, and grace uh, from God that is undeserved, can't earn it. Um, yeah, it's kind of first thing that comes to mind. I think grace is one of those, maybe one of the ones, faith might be the other one too. This is like the hardest thing for people to wrap their head around in Christianity, just that idea of like, it's free. So it's open to really anyone. Like there's no limit to the, it's not like, well, that person's too bad for grace. They can never like, no, anyone can have grace applied to them. It's, it's, it's irrelevant of what you've done or what you will or, or could do. Mm-hmm. And you think it's weird, like who wants to say grace? For the, our meal, <laughs> right? That might right. be what, what people think of more. Uh, like, say grace. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I, remember, I think it was, I think it was Hook. When he said, "It's like, oh, we're just say grace," and they all like hold hands. And he's like, "Our heavenly Father," like grace, and they all like start eating. It's <laughs> 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 like run, start eating. <laughs> Where does uh, that come from? Say grace. What does that mean? I don't what know. What's like the, just a prayer? Like yeah, but let's like why. Grace? I don't know. I guess thank you for the food that we don't deserve. Like, yeah, that's grace. <laughs> well, that's interesting because we do like we think of grace just in salvation. I think, and which is true, it is merited. But mm-hmm. uh, in kind of every aspect of life, there's an element of grace to it, right? Like everything we have is undeserved, really. Yeah, dude. I mean, and that's the gratitude, right? right. I mean, that's where that comes from, and I think that's the uh, the root of all sin. Like we said before. Mm-hmm. Right. is in ingratitude and trying to replace God with ourselves and seeing something as lacking in our lives, mm-hmm. right? Like any sort of like trying to replace because pride, you know, and lust and, and, and those things is like, and there's something else I want. I've been given everything right. in Christ, given the entire world. And, but, but something's lacking. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to, that's what I, that's what I read this article by John Piper talking about, <laughs> Uh, the first Corinthians just talk about like, you know, some follow Paul some follow Paul, some mm-hmm. follow, you know, and you're saying that we're, we're putting stock in these teachers as if they can add anything to Christ mm. and scripture. Right. And so there's, right. again, it's that ingratitude. We've been given everything in God's word and mm. in Christ, but we're still looking to John Piper or we're mm. still looking to, and it, it's not like a, a knock on like the learning the doctrine of theology, but it's just, well, okay. You know, if, if he says it, then I'll take it as, mm-hmm. as, right legit or something rather than is this person speaking biblically the problem is we don't know scripture we don't know the bible and so we have this ignorance and in that ignorance we think is like there's a lack of something but Mm -hmm. if our favorite theologian says it then we'll take it as 
more sure of a of a thing than right scripture you know when good theologians will be pointing to scripture right mm. so and that's always a good sign of a of a good doctrine or a good theologian or, or pastor or something is they're just pointing to scripture they're just right. pulling everything from scripture it's not like i have an idea i'm gonna like see if i could there's any verses to back it up uh but it's just actual just extraction from scripture but that's interesting that idea of like uh ascribing like extra extra weight to something of a specific teacher says it that's that is really a thing still and that kind of almost goes into denominations a little bit too like you, you know if you're a baptist you follow baptist preachers and that's who's writer it, it's hard for us to say like oh well you have a good point on that thing that i don't necessarily agree with but like you made a good scriptural argument for it i think i read i almost feel presbyterian sometimes <laughs> i read like doug wilson this is over rc sprawl and table talk and i'm like Man, am I Presbyterian? <laughs> I was talking about that with one of my pastors. This week. We were talking about like the the flaws of the flaws and uh, good points of, of Baptist denominations and Presbyterian denominations. It's like they have this right, but they have this wrong, and we have this right, but we have this wrong, and this we could do this better, and we could do that better. Just that mm -hmm. kind of you know, pulling from this, and then they have. They have a point on that. We should be doing things like that, but we don't have a point on this. Yeah, we were talking about like with with Doug Wilson, with Presbyterians and stuff, and like how Doug Wilson, um, you know, they baptize babies, <clears throat> right. and uh, so it's like because our last sermon was about unity and mm. un find all all over finding unity in Christ and across denominations and, and stuff and finding truth, uh, unity in in Christ, finding finding our identity in Christ, mm. and how that should unite all of us, no matter what culture or race or Right. gender or ethnicity or background or socioeconomic status anything like we all find our identity in christ and that's where we can find unity no matter what around the world and um you know we were talking about like uh all denominations and stuff and it's like okay yeah like so we, we just i i disagree with almost all of the pastors and writers and authors and stuff that i follow on at least one point mm -hmm. right I think that's important. Not like I'm just going to disagree just because I need to disagree with something, but just to be able to articulate the nuance of everything yeah. that someone believes, you right. know, and like John Piper is like, doesn't believe in like second amendment stuff, like defense, self-defense, right, right, yeah. like lethal, lethal self-defense or something like that. It's like, okay, well, I disagree with that, you know, but I'm not going to like throw him as a heretic and like <laughs> burn him, you know, and, <laughs> And like Doug Wilson gives communion to kids, and it's like, okay, that's weird. Like, what what is that about and stuff? And then we were talking about that with baptism, and how like, so we're we, we're different. There's a division and in, in, in difference in baptism. We believe believers baptism once mm -hmm. you're saved, and right. they believe baptized babies in the church. Right. Is that like, okay? That's where we disagree. Where we agree is that baptism doesn't save you. Right. Right. So it's like okay. So we're united we're still like, right, kind of right. united on that deeper gospel issue and that deeper <laughs> gospel level uh and then also too it's like okay you know presbyterians have like a deeper understanding of the covenant of like the family yes, of the christian right. church and covenant and that's what they're baptizing them into and say okay well, what does that mean how what can i what can i learn about the covenant of of body of believers and stuff that were children of the promise and things like right. that and you know and he would have an easier time explaining like in Hebrews, it says those who fall away, right? Right. And it's like, oh, 
Mr. Baptist over here is like, what does that mean? It's like, <laughs> I'm like, it's hard for me to explain because once they would always save and whatever. And then the Wilson's like, no, they're in the covenant and then they're not like, right. but they were never saved. And so like, oh, man, that's the super... visible church and the invisible church. Yeah. And you know, it's like, okay, so that's what they fell away from. And they have, they have a better understanding of that from the, that covenant view. Um, so there's, there's, there's those different little nuances, but speaking of covenant, like in, in that idea of the different covenants, there's a covenant of grace that we're mm. under right. now. And that's imp- like really important. When we talk about grace, it's really under- important to understand the covenant of grace mm. and like the covenant of works, right? And how those two correspond with each other. I've got some resources and stuff I want to go to, but what, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when, when I say that of like, oh, there's a covenant of works and then the covenant of grace. And like historically, when did those happen? And like, you know, do they negate each other or whatever? Mm. Man, if we could have, you know, three hours on that. (laughs) (laughs) I've always had this, uh, I I don't know how to say it completely in words, but the idea that the covenant of work still had an element of, of, uh, there's never been a time where grace wasn't applied to the people of God. Right. Right. Even in Sinai, even with the covenant there that he made with the law, there was still an element of grace because inevitably they were gonna fail at keeping the law but they weren't going to be abandoned. Right. And I I think that is where we trip up a lot because we do want to draw like a line, like, well, law was here and then the law is done and now it's nothing but grace. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So speaking of Presbyterians, R.C. Sproul, (laughs) our man, um, he has this thing uh, called this chapter, a nicknamed covenant theology. Mm -hmm. He talks about like, Three covenant, the covenant of redemption, covenant of works, and the covenant of grace. And so, like the covenant, this is in, in the covenant of redemption. We got to do like a whole episode. Yeah, that's a whole. You blew my mind with that one, dude. It's this blew my mind of that of like just the purpose of creation and, and everything. It's the covenant. Whenever, of grace. Uh, whenever you call me in the middle of the day, I know it's going to be something that I'm going to have to think about for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, the covenant of redemption being the covenant made between God, the father, son, and Holy spirit in eternity past for redemption. And that is a redeeming God. And if this redeeming God were to create a universe, it would be one to be redeemed. And all three persons of the Trinity fulfill a role in the redemption of the universe. So that's why the garden, that's why the fall, that's why the tree, that's why the serpent that's why that we're not just set up for failure and God isn't just playing this like cleanup game. Right. Either. Yeah. This is the universe in timeline and history in reality that this God would create. If Ares creates a universe, it would be one of war. Right. Right. Because he's the God of war. Well, this is a God of redemption is the God that we understand from the Bible is a redeeming God. So if this God were to create any universe, it would be this one. It's not just like a decision or like a, a, a handful of, uh universes he picked from he picked the best reality or whatever right it is his nature to redeem and so if this redeeming god were to create a universe this is what it would be to want to be redeemed and so that's the covenant of redemption and then the covenant of works is also known as covenant of creation which was what adam was under and it was don't do this do this or don't do this and he failed and the world fell. He ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And through man, through one man, the world fell. And mm-hmm. death entered, sin and death entered the world. And then the covenant of grace is Christ. 
and the redemption found in him. And that's Old Testament and New Testament. Right. right. And so uh, from this book says, sometimes the covenant works is called the covenant of creation, which makes it clear that the first covenant was not restricted to Adam and Eve. The first covenant was made with them and with their progeny. All human mm-hmm. beings are included in the creation covenant. We may ignore or reject that covenant, but we cannot escape it. We are all under the sanctions of the covenant of works, and we are in desperate need of a covenant of grace. Mm. And this part says, though the gracious doctrine of justification by faith is the essence of the gospel, we ought not forget that our salvation is ultimately accomplished by the fulfillment of the covenant of works, Mm. which is achieved by the second Adam, Christ himself, who by his perfect and personal obedience fulfills the requirements of the covenant of works. So in that, Adam's progeny, us, the Old Testament, New Testament, us, we are under under the covenant of works that has been fulfilled by Christ because he was sinless. He was the better Adam. He was the second Adam that that did succeed and didn't sin. And so that covenant of works is fulfilled, and we are brought into the covenant of grace through Christ's work, right? And so I thought that was interesting of, like, just how how it's important to understand the covenants, and this is the covenantal theology and the covenantal religion that we have. Right, right. Um, and we are under the covenant of grace because the covenant of works has been fulfilled by Christ. Mm. So now we are under grace. Part of that covenantalism is that idea of like federalism, that federal headship idea, uh, which I, I think this is a thing that we don't we don't often extend grace backwards in a way. There's uh-huh. this idea with original sin that like, well, Adam ruined it for everyone, right? And in some sense, there's there's like an element of truth to that. Like, yes, he was the representative of all humanity in that moment. But I, I think the thing that we don't understand completely is that he was the representative of humanity because he was like all of us. So all mm-hmm. of us in that situation would have done the same thing. Right. It's not like there's any point where any of us would have been like smarter or uh, we would have listened better or we would have obeyed and under, understood better. Like, no, he was he was the representative because he was common. Like he was, all of us would have done the same thing in that situation. We do it every day. Right. You know, I mean, we sin every day. And so in that way, we, we, we confirm it. <laughs> our first father. Adam, right. Right. And the only difference is that he wasn't born with a sin nature. Right. right. He was the one to bring it into the universe. But um, yeah, but we follow that by nature and by choice. We sin. Right. And we follow, we, 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 and we commit the same sin. That's why I say like mm. all, all the root of all sin is trying to replace God with yourself. And that's what right. Adam and Eve yes. were trying to do. Right. Let's right. say, say you'll be like God, right. Your eyes will be open. You'll be like God. And that's what they wanted. They wanted to be God. And right. that is this whole sin of autonomy. Right. Mm. And our, you know, self law. That's what autonomy means in Greek right. self law, you know, law unto ourselves. And, and, and we'll, God is the lawgiver and the lawmaker. Right. So we want we, but we want to be the lawmaker. We want autonomy. God has autonomy. Right. We don't, but we want autonomy because we want to be God, and that's the root of all sin is trying to replace God with ourselves. We say right. this is a oh no, this is this is okay. That's not okay. This is a sin. That's not a sin. Well, that's God's business to decide that, and He has, and He's told us. But we want to be our own little gods of our own little universe, and so we say this isn't a sin. That is a sin. Thou shalt this. Thou shalt not that. Right. And so that, but that, that's the root of everything, root of all sin, you know, of, of everything is wanting to please ourselves, bring glory to ourselves. And that's only God has the right to do that. So know? would you, would you say the lack of autonomy is a grace also? 
I'm, I'm thinking this out as we're talking about it. Cause like if we, if our nature dictates our actions, if we were given autonomy, that wouldn't change our nature. Our nature would be the same. Right. I mean, we talk about like, it, is it, is it a grace that I don't give my son, my four-year-old son full autonomy? Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> because he doesn't know what's best for him. He doesn't know. Yeah. I'm going to let him eat whatever he wants for dinner. I'm going to let him do it. And it's like, well, he's going to make a ruin of his life very quickly. Right. <laughs> if I give him full autonomy and full uh, control of his life. Yeah. That would that'd be very unloving of me to do to this little four-year-old. Yeah. And I had a conversation with that with somebody who was saying like, you know, what, you know, because they're trying, trying to relate God to us. And again, this happens all the time. We, we want to create God in our image. Again, we want to be God. We want to create God in our image instead of recognize that we are created in his image. You say, well, how does he relate to us? Well, how do you relate to your son? Well, I love him and I do this and whatever, you know, it's like, okay. And they say like, would you force your son to love you? Would you want to control your son like that? And I say, and I say, would it be loving to give my two-year-old complete free will of his life and complete, uh, you know, uh, sovereignty over his life uh, and to make all his own decisions and a free will like that? No, it'd be unloving if to give my to give my two-year-old this that sort of autonomy. And his response was, "We're not two-year-olds." So there it is. You you don't understand the nature of man. You mm -hmm. don't understand what we are. You think. We're more than we are. Right. We are lost, blind sheep. You know, we are dead in our sins and trespasses. And and if you don't think that, then you don't believe the Bible. And that's yeah. I mean, that's just what it comes down to. We have autonomy. We have a power. We have a right. free will. We're created in, the, in God's image, and that means we have an autonomy. We have a free will. No, it means we're to be good stewards and of this earth and have dominion of, of the world. Mm -hmm. That's the context of that. We're creating the image of God. It's not in our reason. It's not in our creativity. It's not in our whatever it's in our dominion that we're supposed to have over the world as good stewards of the right. world and to be fruitful and multiply. That is how we're creating the image of God. That's the context of that in Genesis two. So, uh, but people take that and say like, well, we're pretty much God. Right. Yes. <laughs> I'm creating the image of God. Well, that means I've got free will and dictate my own destiny. And I've got complete sovereignty over all my, you know, everything I can do. And, you know, including salvation. It's like, man, you think you're God, you know, and that's not right. That's God's freedom to save, not ours. Hey, we don't really understand that either. in like the idea of uh, where John says that to, to those who did receive him, those he gave the right to become sons of God. Like, I, I think we lose that too. We think we are all God's children, right? Everybody's God's children. Everybody is the son of God. Like, no, no it, it doesn't no. work that way. We're all, uh, the only thing separating us from being the Pharisees, like you like your father, the devil is grace. <laughs> that's, that's the separation point, the grace right. that we've been adopted into the family of God. Right. So in thinking about this and kind of going through the five solos and stuff. So one of these, this is grace falls in under one of the tulip. Oh, um, that's right acronym thing and that would be the i the irresistible grace right mm. and that's that's very important and that's kind of the common uh word for it is, is irresistible grace right. but um sprawl talks about you know a better definition of that in a more historical definition of that would be effective effectual calling mm. right and how 
those who are called will come to Christ, right? And he has a section on that too in this book um, about resistible grace. You know, basically you talk about like semi-Pelagianism, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, uh, it basically comes down to, does grace assist the sinner in cooperating with grace or does the sinner cooperate by the power of the flesh alone? If the latter, it is unvarnished Pelagianism. If the former, it is still Pelagianism in that grace merely facilitates regeneration and salvation. So mm -hmm. that's where we're talking about regeneration can only happen after we've been giving the grace right. to, to do that because we're dead in our, our sins and trespasses. So he says, if the flesh can by itself incline itself to grace, where is the need of grace? If the grace of regeneration is merely offered and its efficacy depends on the sinner's response, what does grace accomplish that is not already present in the power of the flesh? Mm. And again, that's that we're not two-year-olds. Yes, we right. are. We're worse than two-year-olds. We're dead. We're dead. <laughs> we're dead. We're, we're not sick. We're not ill. We're not crippled. We're dead. You know, and that's, we can't, what can dead things do? Nothing. What, does, what do dead things have to offer its life-giving power? Nothing. Um, so saving grace does not offer liberation. It liberates. Saving grace does not merely offer regeneration. It regenerates. This is what makes grace so gracious. God unilaterally and monergistically does for us what we cannot do for ourselves you know and that's the, irres the, the irresistible grace and he's talking about like how it's more uh appropriate to call it effectual calling that messes mm. up the whole tulip and that acronym right yeah you know <laughs> but effectual calling, effectually drawing them to jesus christ yet so as they come most freely being made willing by his mm. grace that's from the westminster confession mm. um this is the grace of regeneration regeneration changes the heart of heart or soul from something cold lifeless and stony into something living pulsating sanguine and responsive mm. the heart is made alive to the things of god and that's coming from ephesians 2 8 for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of god not a result of work so that no one may boast and in verse 3 carrying out the carrying out the desires of the body among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, as Ephesians 2, and 2, 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And so, I mean, that's it. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So we were alive in flesh, but dead in spirit. And that's where grace is effectual, in the spirit, not in the flesh. Our flesh and DNA and bodies up, walking around, pleasing the carnal things of the flesh. But our right. spirit is dead. And the life that Christ, that God brings in Christ is in direct contrast to the deadness of our spirit that we're of our condition and so if we raise up our deadness to like crippled or just not kind of sick or not totally dead then we diminish the level of life that christ brings hmm. so as dead as we are is as much as christ brings life and that's so you can't our, you can't elevate one without diminishing the other right and that that speaks to our pride because we're okay with that like because it's undignified the way so the way the scripture describes this is undignified we're, right. we're dead we're helpless we can't accomplish anything it's like well let me give me a little bit right and it's okay it's okay if christ has to lower his his importance a little bit as long as mine is elevated a little bit just give me that little bit yeah and especially as americans we hate that idea yeah. oh yeah of like complete dependency 
<laughs> so when it's like, no, I'm I pull myself up by right. my bootstraps and that's the right way. That's what's right. That's you gotta, you know, God helps those who help themselves. Right. Yeah. Uh, isn't a Bible verse, by the way. <laughs> At all, by the way, yeah. Don't quote that. It's a Bible <laughs> verse. <laughs> you know, but that's our mentality and that's our like self-elevation and, and like one of bring our, and it's the difference between the passage mentioned monergism, right? So monergism mm, right. versus synergism, right? So monergism right. is just you're dead and God alone, mono, mm. single one, pulls you up by himself. Synergism is that, you know, synchro, you know, synchronized, we're working together. It's right. God and you, you know, and then you cooperating with God. But that implies some power that we have. Um, and, and that's just not biblical. Um, it's the prevenient grace, right, of like we've been given this power upon our creation and created, be, being created in the image of God gives us the free will and power to respond to God. Right. But the scripture just speaks differently of, of people. It just, I mean, it just does. And that's one of the biggest roots of skewed doctrine is mm. a misunderstanding of who you are and who right. God is. In yes. the relationship between the two. Mm. That's where all, I think, all mess ups in doctrine come from, is having a wrong anthropology. <laughs> and you really do see it play out in like cultic thinking and that the, the problem's not you intrinsically. The problem is what's around you or the problem is that you haven't realized what you really are yet. Or the problem is it's something that's not you. You're not the problem. You're perfect. You're just not there yet. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's, it's so... It's appealing to Americans, obviously, but it's appealing to human beings in general. Just that idea of like, well, all I need is a boost or all I need is the right direction. If you point me the right way, I can I can take it the rest of the way. Yeah. Hmm. So what do you think about like common grace? What would be the difference between like like saving grace and common grace? Or so like the grace and common grace. Oh, man, I wish I had it on, on me and I don't. The the the. Uh, Jeremiah, I believe, the verse where it talks about because of the Lord's great mercy, we're not all consumed. Mm. Like that's common grace. <laughs> yeah. The fact that we're alive is common grace, that, that we're yeah. not all destroyed immediately. Yeah, and I think that ties into John 3.16 of like, from God so loved the world, he said his only begotten son. It's like, okay, so the whole world's safe? No, the whole no, world. Yeah, right. But the whole world does get Christ in, right. in, in, in some capacity. And it, the whole world gets Christianity. Which I know this sounds super arrogant and super like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> the best with us is what we're telling you. It's the best. Yeah. Um, yeah, that sounds super entitled and like, you know, uh, our way is the right way and stuff. But it's like, I mean. Well, you know, if I could get post mill for a minute, with, you know, <laughs> uh, we were finishing up Revelation this week and, uh, when it's describing the new Jerusalem, I, I was watching a commentary about this and they were talking about some of the description of the, of the new Jerusalem. And it talks about it's light. Right. And, uh, it's going to get a little complicated, but follow me. Uh, the, the commentator was saying that the, the word for light in that passage is not the typical word for light that you would get. So typically the word for light, mm. it's, uh, folks, which just means light to shine, like light, the way we would think of it. But the word that's used there is the word foster, which is a little bit different. And it has this implication of something else. So like he was saying in the uh, in the Septuagint, 
Foster is the word that's used for the sun, moon, and stars, that they're the lights, right? And uh, he was saying that what that implies is that the, 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 if you have Foster, you don't just have light, but you have an element of order and direction and uh, repair to what you're doing. So like the, the, earth, the earth was void and it had no clear direction, but then the sun, moon, and stars gave it order. They gave it night and day. They gave it a rhythm. They gave it a cycle. They gave you signs and seasons. Mm. And he was saying that the church is that to the world now. Because of the grace of God, because of the presence of the church, because we're the people of God with the presence of God, we are that light that shines out that tells everybody, hey, the kingdom, the kingdom, the rule of the king, the king has spoken. This is how things should be. This is what nature should look like. So we're undoing the the fall in that way, mm. kind of restoring the order to the chaos. Man, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an eternal understanding of, of these right. things, right? Not just a temporal, earthly right right system thing of that yeah because that yeah well, well he created light before he created the sun right yes explain that <laughs> sounds like a pretty good freaking explanation <laughs> in terms of eternity like right things. yeah that's really cool man um yeah i mean i, I just uh there's this book doug wilson mm. um close personal friend of the show personal friend of the podcast, <laughs> doug wilson um, we're going through this cause we're homeschooling the kids and we're doing mm. a classical vision education. And that's what this is like right. recovering the lost tools of learning by Doug Wilson, um, said, uh, education is a completely religious endeavor. It is impossible to impart knowledge to students without building on religious presuppositions. Education is built on the foundation of the instructor's worldview and the worldview of those developed through the curriculum. It is a myth that education can be non-religious. That is, that education can go on in a vacuum that deliberately excludes the basic questions about life. It is not possible to separate religious values from education. This mm -hmm. is because all the fundamental questions of education require religious answers. Learning to read and write is simply the process of acquiring the tools to enable us to ask and answer such questions. And, I mean, so we talk about, like, well, what is Christianity done for the world? Well, is being educated... <laughs> And science and logic and reason and reading and writing are all those things great. Yeah, we all agree that those are those are good. Great. Those are all things that we can so done so that we can understand religious questions. <laughs> you know. So for God so loved the world, he gave us Christianity. He gave us Christ. And that was a huge blessing, just mm. even towards the even just towards the enlightenment. Right. You know, in the fact in the, in, the, in the endeavor of science and the idea that there is there is correct and incorrect that could be known, you know, epistemology, like any of these right. things are like seriously religious questions. And like saying, like the, the ability to read and write is 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 acquired just to get the tools to enable us to ask and answer such questions. Right. Right. Well, it's, when you I talk mean, about all math grace, is like, like logic and like if this, then that. Right. And those are that's a right, philosophical, right. you know, thing. But when you when you but talk about Amazing reason, Grace, science. that that uh, the history behind Amazing Grace, like the song Amazing Grace, was the the slave trader who yeah. became a Christian, right? And just that realization, mm -hmm. right? Right. And his uh, his, I don't want to say protege, but one of the people he mentored was William Wilberforce, who yep. you know through his religiosity and Christianity effectively ended the slave trade in England. Like that's what Christianity gave to the world. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, like, so when we talk about different worldviews, we talk about religious or atheists or 
whatever, what, you know, nihilist, like anything you want to believe. There's all these like marketplace of ideas and different worldviews right. and stuff. We, 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 we're colliding worldviews and presuppositions and all worldviews are just appealing to their presuppositions. So what we have to do is figure out, well, which, pre, which worldview is, cons- is consistent with itself and helps describe what we see in the world of people mm. and everything going on. Well, we're all molecules in motion. Okay, that doesn't, that's not consistent because you're getting right. morally indignant at a school shooting. Well, why? We're all molecules in motion. You don't get mad when asteroids hit each other. So right. that's that's the consistent view. You're being inconsistent. Your worldview collapses on itself. You know, just the whole like, postmodern, like relativist, like uh, there, there is there are no there is no absolute truth. Are you sure? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. You just defeat your argument. So it's a, it's a self defeating idea. It's truth claim. Right. <laughs> so when you say there are no truth claims, it's just insanity. Uh, so, uh, but you know. Christianity, biblical Christianity, is the only worldview that makes morality, logic, and re- reason intelligible and consistent with itself. Right, right, and consciousness, search for meaning and purpose. You know, all these right, things right. That, that's consistent with the Judeo-Christian worldview, mm. right? With this God, right. with this biblical set of laws, with this history, with this you know explanation of human beings and all these things. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the only consistent worldview. So Christianity is the only thing that makes logic and morality intelligible, right? It's, it's the only thing that makes it make any sense consistently. Right. So that is how we understand, you know, it's the, it's the absurdity of the alternative. You know, we're all molecules, meaningless, but we're constantly searching for meaning. What? Right. Okay. <laughs> you know, so that's. We don't. We don't even know what human consciousness. We can't. We can't naturally account for human consciousness. Okay. No, we don't we need to. There. We just roll with it. It's. Yeah, it's, so, it's, it's so nuts to hear like the just the rationalizing or irrationalizing of it. You know, Rogan was talking with this atheist guy. He's like, I don't know why people get so hung up on so everything came from nothing. I mean, we're here, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> it's like. <laughs> Okay, hey, hey, on my turn, my turn. Let me do it. I don't know why people think there's no God. I mean, we're here, aren't we? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're just you're doing. You think you proved a point? You're, you're just appealing to your presupposition, which what we're all doing. Right. But the thing is, is your presupposition a worldview consistent? No, right. ours yes. is. Right. right. I have a reason to be angry about rape and murder. You don't. Right. We're evolved but apes. You Who are. cares? Right. Yeah. Lions eat their young. We don't care, but right. we do it. It's a sin and crime. And <laughs> right. you know, we have this idea of holding people accountable for certain actions. Why? Who cares? We're, isn't this just what the human species does under these temperatures and conditions? It's your environment, right? How can we throw someone in jail? You know, like for anything. It's funny <laughs> but we, how we do because we it's an image of God bubbling up inside. We can't deny it. Well, we want to hold those ideas at the same time. We want to be like, we're just animals. Also, we're the highest thing that ever was. And we can ration, we can become, and we can, ra- but we're also, we're just animals. Like, yeah. we want both. Uh, John Piper said, you know, we're, we're, we, we, don't be surprised when you teach kids in school that they're animals and then they start killing each other like animals. Right. <laughs> Why are we surprised by this? You know? And it, and it's funny to hear all these like atheist people speaking rationally, speaking reasonably against the insanity, inconsistent, irrational ideology of the left and the woke. But what are you standing on? Right. <laughs> and you know like, what what are by what standard are you saying 
we ought to have two genders. We ought to recognize there's two genders. You know what I mean? Like, says who? Like, what, what are you appealing to? Why shouldn't they? Right. You say there's no truth. You say we're all autonomous. You say we're all this. And then you get, you know, you can't get mad when you say there's no rules and people start making up their own rules. Right. <laughs> you know, that's exactly what these rational atheists are doing. It's like, what are you standing on? By, by what standard are you calling these people out? <laughs> well, it was really interesting. I was listening to Rogan. He was talking about um, determinism versus free will. Mm-hmm. And it was funny to hear them talk. It was him and Sam Harris talking about it and how Sam Harris has this idea that there's hard there's no determinism. Yeah, right. there's no free will based on what he would say is based on your experience and your DNA and the decisions you make. And it's like, oh, so you're saying we're our, our actions are determined by our nature and not our free will. Like you're saying the same thing we're saying, but you just have no reason to say what you're saying. We have a different God. Right, which is nature. Right, which is, which, which is us. Because we're the dominant nature, right. you know, species in nature, so we're the gods, and so and that again, the root of all sin mm. is <laughs> replacing God with yourself. So, and it really does like it. It really does get to the point of that common grace that like there, there's, there's no reason that all of us should not be destroyed every second of every day. Like every day we go around replacing God with ourselves. And he just graciously doesn't destroy all of us for that high sin of idolatry. Right. Yeah. And, and it's that gratitude for the day. It's that mm, gratitude yes. for this breath. It's the gratitude for the next heartbeat. It's that gratitude that we should try and be cultivating in ourselves. And that will, for, for the Christian, that will build a fortification against sin. And that is the mortification of sin is mm. cultivating a heart of gratitude because that ingratitude, that feeling of something's lacking that I deserve is, is missing. And I'm going to try and fill it with my own autonomy and my own lusts and my own pursuits and, and whatever is, is, is that, you know, trying to replace God with ourselves. And that's an ingratitude. So what we ought to do is look around and say, every stitch of my life is undeserved. Mm. And, and I feel that a lot too, because especially with my career and like my job, which as a, as a man, that kind of permeates into everything else in my identity in life, right. which really shouldn't, but it kind of, it's like always right there. Right. And I dropped out of college twice. <laughs> <laughs> and I kind of, <laughs> I kind of pissed away a lot of years of my prime that I could have done a lot of good goal-oriented things and i just did i just effed around and had fun and just watched movies (laughs) just didn't do it worked at a comic book store and just like whatever read book i just i didn't do anything i could have done something but i did right and 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 i went to school and i dropped out because i just didn't want to go and then i went again and i dropped out again i just didn't go for a long time and then I met my wife, and I was like, "Dang, I gotta like have gotta get it together." <laughs> yeah. So then I went to school for real, and like, and like, by, by the again, by the grace of God, finished, changed my major <laughs> like four times, and then finally just went with whatever I could do that I thought was easy, which is English, which just meant I could read a bunch of books and get through, which I did. And you know, my senior seminar class was like a film class, which is like great. I know movies, so <laughs> let me just do what's easy. And then I get this job at UPS, and then I got a job with Oracle, and then I have a job at US, and it's like, and I look around, and I, everything I have, any sort of like financial, material, worldly sort of success, mm. or any kind of comfort at all, anything, and it's like, I didn't 
pursue or choose really any of this. Mm, I, yes. you know, and it's, so I have a lot of like, I, it's not like, Oh, I wanted to be a vet since I was seven and I pursued that and I accomplished it and I did it, you right. know, or like I wanted to do this. And I just, my, I, I know somebody who's like in their forties, they said when they were five years old, they went to the dentist and saw a dentist and, and said, that's what I'm going to do. And I never changed my mind. And I'm a dentist. I became a dentist and he's a dentist. And he's like, was like, what kind of psychopath has that sort of like <laughs> tunnel vision goal oriented, you know, <laughs> I was like, well, I, that is the opposite of me. I wanted to do a million different things and I pursued them and changed my major and had all these ideas and whatever. And, you know, and didn't have this job in mind at all, you know, but I have it and I have every comfort that I have, whatever. And it's like, man, I am so just grateful. Mm. I, I really see God's providence in my life and, and how lazy and ungoal oriented I was and just like, but, but everything that I still have, my wife, my kids and my job mm. and everything, it's just like, it just kind of blows me away and, and it really helps to like cultivate a, uh, maybe that's a grace and in a, in a mercy to, to me in my life of like saying like, Hey, you see all this stuff. You didn't have any of this in mind. You mm. didn't chase this. You didn't pursue this. You didn't work hard really compared to other <laughs> people, compared to other people to get what you have and you have it. Mm. And it's like, man, that recognition. And I think we all to some degree have that, uh that kind of we we have those things in our life of like what did i do to deserve this a million you hear stories about like oh man their parents died or this happened or whatever and it's like man that didn't happen to me i'm blessed like this is right god has been so gracious to me like as bad as we can see other people's story in life and how things how they have it and things that happened to them that were truly out of their control and those same things are out of our control and they didn't happen to us that's a grace. And again, that's on every level. Everybody can look at a worse situation, right? And and accept God's grace and be grateful that that hasn't happened to them. And we need to recognize that. And everybody, to their capacity, whatever level they're at in that sort of way, needs to see that. And that's cultivating a, a heart of gratitude mm. and, and gratefulness and thankfulness of what you have and what you don't have of like, tragedies that haven't happened to you and maybe tragedies tragedies have happened to you but other tragedies haven't you know what i mean and for that we ought to be grateful and mm -hmm. the ultimate tragedy of an eternity in hell which is what we all deserve by the sin of adam and by our own choice by nature and by choice our sin separates us from god that bad news that we don't have even just by living even if we're not a christian even just by living mm. is by god's grace and that needs to be recognized and understood I think if we did more of that, we would sin less and mm. we would be on a better track towards holiness and sanctification for Christians and for the lost. I think that is kind of the path towards salvation is seeing this, seeing what you deserve and what, and you haven't gotten that. And that's mm. good. And that's, that's the gospel. That's the bad news that makes the good news good. Right. Right. You're a sinner in need of a savior mm. and you have that. And so just that accepting it, you know, like was Luther said, like, like, like grass receiving rain, you mm. know, it's just like, I just, I'm just receiving this and by it, I'm growing and, and becoming more holy towards justification for lost and towards sanctification for the Christian.
Uh, it's just that gratitude, gratia, sola gratia, that gratitude, that graciousness. Right. God, thank you for everything I have. <laughs> and I think the flip side to that too is, it, you know, my, I have the the, I don't want to say the opposite, but a different perspective on the same point. In the, it's not so much the the gratitude for what I have that I didn't pursue, but the gratitude for what I don't have that I did pursue. That's what I kind of reflect on a lot. Is that there is a lot of things that I did chase that were like, right. This is what I wanted, and now look at it like, thank God I didn't get any of that stuff because that would have ruined me in so many right. ways. Yeah, it's just no, I think that was yeah. the great of in my life was that grace of being allowed to go chase all of those things and just see how empty they all are. And like, there's right. nothing here. You can have it all, and it's empty, and it's never gonna fulfill you. And you could have everything you wanted and be a shell of a person at the end of the day. Is that is that what you want? That's not what you want. Right. Yeah, man. Um, uh, I forget what somebody said. Like the 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 blessing of of unfulfilled goals or whatever. Yes, right. <laughs> you had this. You're not only do you not deserve what you have, you are pursuing things that destroy. Right. You know? Yes. And, and and you didn't get them by God's grace. By God's did. grace, you didn't succeed in those endeavors. Right. <laughs> and you know what? Some people do. And. Mm -hmm. Hey, you know, that's, that's the giving up over to people. Yeah, passion, that's man. You know? That's the, I see people still doing like the same things that I was doing and just watching them, like just grasping at nothing. And just that thought of like, why are you doing this? Like, what do you think you're going to get? You've been doing this forever and it doesn't work. What, right. when are you going to come to your senses? And that's the part I really like in the, the story of the prodigal son too, is when it says that he came to his senses, like <laughs> that he realized, like it clicked, like oh, this is nothing. Why am I here? Why did I do this? Why did I think this was a good idea? Yeah, um, my mom used to say something. She said, "I think you know, she didn't make me stuff, but um, she's the first person I heard tell it to me was that um, everything leads to a throne, mm. you know, and it's like who who's on that throne, and that's you know." Uh, is it yourself? You know, well, good luck. I mean, <laughs> look what you've done. Who are you? You know, or is it God? You know, like you can pursue holiness or you can pursue things that, that fulfill yourself and the God of self or the God right. of our modern times or whatever it is. Um, and, and it's like, okay, everything is kind of, everything you're pursuing really is kind of leads to a throne and like who's on that throne and mm -hmm. okay, what you, you got to see that full line through, right? I right. Mean, if you idolize your job, you idolize your family, you idolize, you know, whatever. You got to see that that's a that's a false idol and it doesn't fulfill. Mm. Um, so, well, that's, then, I mean, that goes back to Romans one, right? Like worshiping the created thing instead of the creator. Right. We we have the problem of worshiping the things of grace and not the one who's the giver of the thing. Yeah, and I think the biggest lie and the in the most dangerous like misunderstanding is that we don't worship anything. But we do. Yes, right. We always worship something, and, and we we just kind of can't help it. You know, we're gonna like have a tribe and have an identity right. in something and fulfill it. And it's like, okay, that better be something good because, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things that don't fulfill, and there's only one one thing that does, and that's God. You know, in Christ. So that's that's in these terms of eternity and stuff. You know, my uh, I, I took a philosophy class. The really cool teacher. He 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 actually had maybe one of the first presuppositional positions I ever heard where he was one of the first people I ever said, ever heard say you start with God and that's how you understand philosophy. You don't start with philosophy and try to see it as itself. And he would talk about Ecclesiastes in that way. And he called Ecclesiastes a book of dark grace 
because by seeing the fruitlessness of everything, you understand the grace of God. And that really does stick out when you're reading Ecclesiastes. Like with the, the way he talks about it is like, I tried to find happiness in work and it was fruitless. And I tried to find happiness in building a legacy. And then I realized that I'm going to die and I'm going to be forgotten. And the people who come after me are going to be forgotten. And whatever yeah. I build may go to somebody who doesn't know how to use it and they're going to destroy it. And everybody's forgotten. None of this means anything. And that phrase under the sun, just like everything here on this side of, of heaven is dead and useless and falling and empty. And it's like, man, that's so so true <laughs> it's, yeah. it's the truest thing and it's so weird too because you think about like you know what's what's the top what's the most glorified a human being can be and i think there's lots of examples throughout world history and stuff but mm -hmm. it's weird that and, and i think this is like historically significant just in god's plan for reality in, in human history and stuff is that uh, the big gap, like about 400 years of last prophets in Christ, right? Mm -hmm. From the Old Testament to the New Testament is about 400 years. And um, just of like silence. Of right. It's kind of like, there's just no there's word. From, there's right. no word, no new word from God, like for that mm -hmm. long. And like, okay, what happened in world history? What was kind of the big thing going on during that, that 400 years? And what, what was, uh, was uh, the rise and uh legacy kind of and that kind of led into the hellenization of the world by right. alexander the great right and so like you think alexander the great he, he silly dominated the known world and took over egypt took over persia took over i mean he like just won war after war after war victory after victory glory after glory to the point of deification people worshiped him and you know became a god and so that's like the penultimate like achievement of any human being, right? I think it would probably be Alexander the Great as right. far as just like besides Christ, you know, like the ultimate like old, you know, person is Alexander the Great. Right. And it's like where is like, who gives a crap about <laughs> Alexander the Great now? You know what I mean? His name has to be taught and explained, you know. Right. And it's like, man, that's that's a really interesting um just like the the ultimate of humanity and you get kind of like a city in egypt and that's kind of it you know <laughs> and a lot in a library that burned you know right <laughs> lost yeah. a bunch of information and in, in always and stuff of the world library of i always think about that with uh I, i've always thought of it like king david if you had to pick a bible character who's your ultimate hero it's david david's the, he's the ultimate he's the warrior he's the poet he's the king he was the conqueror yeah. he overcame everything and in two generations, his throne is gone. His people are split. Everything's, it's all is gone. Yeah. <laughs> he was the ultimate and it's all gone. Like you said, it, you know, no context for it afterwards. Yeah. It's crazy. I mean, that, that's it. You know, I mean, uh, but in Christ, you know, if we find, if we find our identity in Christ, that's eternal. And right. that's like the only like true thing. Um, maybe the last of scripture uh john 1 14 through 18 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth john bore witness about him and cried out this was he of whom i said he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace for the law was given through moses grace and truth came through jesus christ no one has ever seen god the only god who is at the father's side he has made him known. So that is, you know, the Moses, the law, the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Christ. And that seems like a contrasting or whatever, but it's really just like kind of a juxtaposition or like, um, um, 
uh, adjacent thing of Christ fulfilled the law that Mo that came through Moses, right? Mm, right. And through that, we were given the covenant of grace. We're brought into a new covenant, a covenant of grace, you know, because the covenant of works has been fulfilled. Not that right. it's been ignored, not right, that right. it's been forgotten or just, meh, you're all right. No, the covenant of works has been fulfilled through Christ so that we can be under the covenant of grace. And that is huge for our, 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 pursuit of sanctification and in our struggle with sin that we're going to continue with is that we can abide in grace just just we're, we're in grace and, and just just the idea of that and and the truth of that is so important for the christian mm. so just abide in grace we are we're, this is why christ died for our sin not for times we were good or whatever but for times we were bad at <laughs> times that we failed that's what christ died for right and that's what the atonement is for not mm. for Hey, you did good. You picked up your Bible this morning. Great. Like, that's great. But that's not what Christ died for. Right. Like you do that because of what Christ died for, because mm -hmm. you're sanctified and, and you're being sanctified and you are justified. But God's work is for your sin. And that, and that is what we need to remember. And our sin is just a constant reminder of grace that we need every minute, every hour, every second, every moment of our lives. Mm -hmm. Right. I like this too in that in that passage at the end where no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God has made him known to us. Because you've talked about it a couple of times, how we could never ascend, so God had to condescend. Like mm -hmm. that just that grace that he came into reality to, yeah. to condescend to our level. Didn't have to, didn't have to reveal himself, didn't have to do any of that. So it's you know, every step back, like it's gracious that he died. It's gracious that he came at all. It's gracious that he revealed himself. It's gracious that he ever spoke to Abraham. It's gracious that he didn't abandon humanity after the garden. It's gracious that he ever created humanity in the first place. It's just grace upon grace. But like you said, grace upon grace. And that's what he would do as the redeeming God, right? I think Matt right. Chandler said it really great. He said, you know, he doesn't do this because you're so great. He did it mm. because he's God. And, and what Chandler means is like, he did it because he's the redeeming God. That's why he did this. You know, because this is the reality he would create and, and interact with and redeem. And so that's why he did. Not because you're so wonderful or because you're so amazing and it's just like, you know, oh, great. Like I heard, you know, like someone say the Bible is a love letter to, to, to you. It's like, what? <laughs> like, okay. Like that, that, that makes the Bible about me. Like that's, right. you know, and, and, to some, and to some degree, the, the, the story of human history is, uh, slay the dragon get the girl you know right. and that that is all of our history and liter literature and you know just kind of the human spirit thing because that is what christ does um but it's about christ and and he receives the glory and he receives right. you know it's about him and and we're part you know we participate in that but as participants not you know the object of the glory right. and the love and the wonderfulness or whatever well that's too reading again to get post mill uh, going through Revelation, there's all of these things that it says about the people of God, about how they have crowns, about how they have white robes, purity, how they ha how they rule in heavenly places. But they're always tied back to the greater truth that those things that they participate in are because Christ has those things, right? So we overcome because he overcame. We have a resurrection because he resurrected. We have purity because he fulfilled the law and he swallowed the cup of God's wrath for us. Like that, right. that the, the grace that we get to participate in any of this because he has already done it. Right. I think lost on us a lot of times. 
And that's his sovereignty, and that's his position as God, and our position as man, and we need to understand that biblically. Like that, that's super important. And he has his sovereignty, and and we may we don't know all those plans, we don't know all those things, but they are his, and they are good. Um, and that that's something that we we need to really just adhere to and just submit mm-hmm. under uh, is his sovereignty, his autonomy, and our you know just gratefulness of being brought under that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's really funny. I can end on this too. Um, this book I read, uh, "The Bounty Hunters" by Elmore Leonard, nineteen fifty-three. Just cool pulp western. Not a Christian book. Not a religious book. Not a Christian author or anything that I that I know of. Um, but I was reading this because, like, all right, cool. You know, summer. I read a lot of fiction in the summer, and I just wanted to read this cool pulpy western Tarantino's novel from the 50s yeah right exactly um so i read this this is his first novel and um from 1953 i was reading this it's cool bandits robbers mexicans cowboys you know the whole western thing right, right and um i come across this paragraph and it's like holy cow this is awesome like this is more biblical christian truth than most christian movies today <laughs> so <laughs> Kirk Cameron ain't coming out with this kind of level of truth in in entertainment, right? So I read this, and uh, you know it's about this uh, this hero, the, the cowboy hero is, is David Flynn, and he's like you know trying to save this Mexican girl from the banditos and like you know all the bad guys and stuff, whatever. And he and he, and he rescues her, right? And again, it's a classic like biblical story of like save the girl and like you know masculinity men were men and women were happy you know <laughs> that time and um says so he just rescued the girl from from the bandits and stuff mm-hmm. and she's been through this horrible ordeal right and he's you know rescued her he says uh she's calm flynn thought even after all she's been through she has control of herself and can speak without her voice giving it away she's a woman of mexico used to the sight of death but that's a lot of nonsense no, it's not callousness. It's faith. God is God, and he lets things happen, and that's all there is to it. But he has reasons, and his reasons for something happening would be more important than a man's reason for questioning whatever it might be. That's how she probably looked at it, and it has taken some of the sting out. Not all, but some. Man. Like that God is God, and he lets things happen, and lets, and that's all there is to it. But he has reasons, and his reasons for something happening would be more important than a man's reason for questioning whatever it might be. I mean, that's Romans 9, right? Like, who are you? Oh, man, to question God. It's like, man, that's a true or biblical truth. You know, right? <laughs> it's crazy, man. I mean, that's Job, right? Like, he, he still mourned, but he could say, you know, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. It just right. And live in that reality. And that's that proper standing of God and man and the relationship between the two. And that, you know, that's crucial, man. Man, that's, it's it's interesting to see that come out of somebody who, you know, as far as we know, not Christian, <laughs> an author, just writing that. And you grasp that truth that, like, you know, our our squabbles, we, we don't understand. And we this, is the author, this is the author of Get Shorty. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah, but that, it's funny because it, that, that's Tarantino's favorite author. Or Common Grace, <laughs> because that's like Pulp Fiction, right? At the end, when he's talking to uh, Ringo in the diner, and he has that realization, like I am the tyranny of evil men. Yeah, 
But I'm I'm trying to be the I'm shepherd. Trying, Ringo. I'm trying real hard to be the shepherd. And that that whole exchange where it's like I'm I'm not giving him this money. I'm buying something. I'm buying your life. Yeah. Like it's that exchange. Like I don't have to kill you yeah. because of it. I own you. It's man. It's, it's great, man. I know. We just can't help the image of yes. God bubbling up. We know the truth of God, but we right. deny and exchange it for false mm. God. It's good stuff, man. Cool. So that's four out of five. Uh, <laughs> the next one, Sola Deo Gloria, the biggest one for the glory of God alone. Cheap that's going to be heaven. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll dive into that next week and we'll, I mean, we'll figure it out. Obviously we'll give you all the insight you need to have about it. Cause if there's one thing we've accomplished in the series is that we've explained all of these perfectly and you all have a better understanding after watching this. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh man. Until then, a uh, couple of things. First of all, uh, email for a couple of things. If you guys have questions, concerns, uh, episode ideas, hit us up. Also, if you want to be notified when we go live and when new episodes are up on Spotify, Hit us up for that with your email or phone number, and we'll reach you at both just to let you know, and, hey, we're going live or new episode posted today. Uh, typically, we try to get them up on Friday, so this episode should be up on Friday on Spotify if you want to check that out. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, uh, all those major ones. The other one, if you're on TikTok, because everybody is on TikTok, we are also on TikTok now. Uh, so do something with it, stitch it, share it, like it, interact. Uh, it's been interesting. So we we crave the interaction. So feel free to interact with us on there until next time. Uh, this has been the time and the place I'm Julian. This is Solomon. We'll see you guys next week. Yep.